2020 provided one of the biggest tests to the supply chain we've ever seen. And on this special edition of MarketScale's industry updates, I'm speaking to an expert on what went wrong, what went right, and the lessons we can learn from the COVID-19 pandemic moving forward. All of that coming up, brought to you by MarketScale. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the podcast today. I am your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Now, in recent days, weeks, months, a lot of the conversation has shifted to the vaccine for COVID-19 and the rollout of that and getting it out to the public and getting it out to people. And there's been uh, some challenges involved with that. And so joining me today to talk a little bit more about the challenge and the strain placed on supply chain, maybe some of the solutions down the road and, and what's causing some of the uh, some of the challenges here is David Beard. He's the president of Beard Solutions, focused on supply chain and operations. David, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, David, uh, it's it's a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you about this, uh, especially someone with your expertise in this area while we're in the middle of this particular time in our history. But uh, when you look at the job that supply chain has done in terms of the vaccine rollout, how do you evaluate um, how supply chain has done up to this point? Well, so let me, I'm going to take a step back because I keep, even though, you know, a lot of times experts come in and, and confuse folks, I try to keep things very simple. So when I look at any supply chain, be it a commercial supply chain, governmental supply chain, I look at it with in, in three lenses, buy, make, and move. Buy is around sourcing and procurement. Make is around production. Move is around warehousing and, um, and distribution uh, to, to people and to companies, right? So that's, that's the prism by which I would look at this. So I would say it's a mixed grade, you know, an overall grade from a, a sourcing and procurement uh, we, we did a moonshot. We, we, we took a gamble with the businesses that developed the vaccine, took a bit of a gamble in that before the trials were complete, they went ahead and began uh, manufacturing and sourcing of the vaccine. So you would have a, a, a kickoff or a fill the pipeline level of supply there ready to go. Uh, luckily for the world and for the country, uh, the, the, the trials proved out. So as far as that goes, um, that that's the, literally the fastest vaccine uh, to come out in, a, in in quite some time, and it's it's remarkable to see what happened there. So I would give that an A. On the move side, and this is and again, and we'll talk a little bit of technical jargon here. This is a two echelon move, uh, a move from the, the the federal supply into state supply, and then move from state supply to people. Uh, we are we are dancing around a D on that. Uh, with a chance to fail, and so and, and and then there's reasons behind that that I can get into, uh, and and again I'm going to stay out of the politics on this and just approach this from a just from an operational standpoint about you know how we're going to get the vaccine into people's arms and where we need to be planning at what level for what. Uh, so you know I'm very happy with what's happened um, on the on the the get the vaccines to market side of the street. I'm very concerned on getting the shots in people's arms. Now, some of the challenges, perhaps because of the swift timeline of the vaccine, some of the challenges that maybe have come along with that are um, challenges that the supply chain is having to endure, right? Like keeping the vaccine at a certain extremely, extremely cold temperature. That's that's definitely a challenge that you don't see too, too often in, in supply chain, right? Yeah, no, I mean, those are, so you start getting into constraints there. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you, you start off with, or at the beginning of the day, you start off with 
an ability to, to, to decide your supply chain. And, that, and that's one of the differences here um, in that you have two major constraints here. The first constraint is what I would say physical requirements of the vaccine. And then the second constraint is what I'll call final mile deployment, okay? And that goes into the distribution and the, and the, and the delivery of the vaccine to arms. The physical requirements of the vaccine, and again, this is, and I'm gonna take one more step back. This is why this has to be like a whole of, 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 of government type solution as we get into this. And again, I'm gonna stay away out of the politics, but there are certain things that are bigger than the marketplace or bigger than the commercial, um, a, a commercial ability to solve a problem. And, and it requires government, be it state, federal, local, to assist. So, that, I mean, this is analogous to, and I know it's recently been called a war, and it's been called a war throughout, but it's been recently called a little bit more of a war. Well, you're talking about a, a totality of society effort on this. Um, if, you, if you think back, and if you think back to the last time we had a mass vaccination effort, you're talking polio in the 50s. Well, polio in the 50s didn't have the constraints that you were just alluding to, which was just the temperature of the vaccine, right? So when polio happened, you could literally line kids up in the schoolhouse and pour the medicine on sugar, and they would take the medicine. So there was not a constraint, so it was easy to get the vaccine out. In this case, um, you have a secondary level of coldness. So it's not just like refrigerated. So if you think refrigerated, you know, your, your listeners, if you think refrigerated, you think like eggs and milk. No, this is much colder than that. And, I, and I've worked in a dairy company before, so I understand cold chain. And the cold chain is much smaller than the general supply chain. And the, and the requirements for this vaccine, be it the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines are so cold that uh, it is going to be problematic. It's gonna be a heavy constraint on getting this out to people. And, and planning has to go into that, that second constraint about final mile and how we're gonna divvy up who goes and gets it where and when, which I think there's been a lot of onus has been placed on, well, we'll just kind of go the flu vaccine route where it just goes to the pharmacies and maybe we have a couple of standups. No, we, we've, got to, we've got to pull, we, we need to have the whole population take these vaccines, right? I mean, so you're talking 350 million Americans. Right. Uh, you're not going to give it to the kids. So you're talking 150 to 200 million Americans, uh, regardless of socioeconomic strata, are going to have to go get these shots. And, and, and you have substantial constraints. So the planning has to be like World War II level planning where it is, everyone's patriotic duty to participate in this until we can get the country healthy enough to move forward, right? So again, government gives us an ability to, to, to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, and commerce, but, but we have to work together in order to do that. So final, I'm going to pause there in case you have a question, but I do want to talk about what I'm thinking around final mile because we have to get over these significant constraints to get shots in arms and to get us back rolling again economically. Yeah, let's talk final mile because that does seem to be uh, a, a relatively large challenge, especially, you know, I, I live in uh, in an urban center in, in Dallas, right? And so, uh, so right, there's uh, there's an, an area here and that makes a lot of sense, but there, you can also see potential final mile challenges when it comes to the rural population as well, right? Nailed it. Okay, you nailed it. So I, I've got three constituencies here. I, by the, the, the way this war is going to be won or lost is how we treat what I'm calling the final mile. And, the, and I think we have three primary constituencies. constituencies. So I'm going to start off regardless of status, meaning that let's just start off assuming everyone's the same age and no one has any 
uh, pre-existing conditions. We're all just one comma each OD green citizens, right? So in, in that world, we, we let's plan that world, and then we're going to talk about allocation in a few minutes because it, 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 the, the supply chain, and again, you can use this in your regular business. This is just above and beyond the vaccine where demand outstrips supply. And in this case, we have exceptional demand outsourcing, outstripping the supply in place. The only weapon as a supply chain leader that you really have is allocation. So we're gonna to get to allocation in a minute, but to get the final mile, you've got, you're gonna have number one, those needing the vaccine in metro areas. Number two, those needing vaccines in rural areas. And then the third is a permutation of the other two, and it's those needing vaccines that are not mobile, okay? So, you know, as we start talking about allocation, you know, let's talk about the metros first. So let's imagine we're in Dallas, DFW, I'm in Frisco. Imagine DFW is the four counties of Dallas, Tarrant, Collin, and Denton. That's a metro area. Mm -hmm. So in a metro area, we have access to transit and places of congregation, meaning stadiums, churches, fields, fairgrounds. In these areas, we can get most people to a vaccine center in a fairly easy manner via personal conveyance or mass transit. Now, I'm going to address not mobile in a few minutes because we know in, in big cities we have people that are not mobile. So we, we then have to fulfill, we have to control the fulfillment of demand with the scarce supply via allocation. So let's take the, let's take, a, let's just say we set up a site, the fairgrounds, right? Government with private support can set up the mass vaccination operations, drive through a walkthrough, and then publish zip codes, birth dates, or some other identifier to let people know which days they are authorized to come get their vaccine. See, the thing is, one of the big failures that I think is happening, and, and again, other people might disagree with me, but all of this online sign-up and, and tech stuff, I know people are trying to leverage technology, but for something of this magnitude, it's just unrealistic. And, and, and I'll just be honest, it's, it's not only ageist, but in many cases it's racist because mm. you can have families in lower socioeconomic areas that don't have the resources to play the online game. They're not sitting around an office place online all day. They're not on their iPhones or iPads. People are working in gigs without tech or they don't have the tech at home. And remember, our most fragile constituency is older people. And, and I mean, think about it. My mom's 81. I've tried to help her program a remote, right? So, so think about trying to get us to sign up for a vaccine somewhere. So, in the, and, and, and then on top of that, when you have, think about that single mother that's a worker and that has to be on site to work all day. In this case, we're going to have to ask businesses to be patriotic. If a worker's date to take herself or her family for vaccination is not a work day, the owner should do the patriotic thing, let them go. Right. The worker should return with proof of vaccination. That's part of the contact. In that case, the employer has inoculated an employee and it brings stability. And, and, and so it's just a good economic thing. But, but so at the end of the day, we need to get as many people as we can and it needs to be pushed to folks, right? Like your day, if, if your last name begins with a B or your, the last digit of your social security number is nine or whatever, you're, you're allocated to Cowboy Stadium or to SMU Stadium or to the fairgrounds or to AA Center, right? And, and, and that's how we're going to have to do it in the metros. And, and if, we, if we give people passes to get there, because we're going to have to get everybody. To, again, this is a biological thing. This isn't a legal thing. This isn't a political thing. This is a biological thing. So we have to get as many organisms vaccinated as possible as fast as we can. Now, 
In the rural areas, you're going to do the same thing, except your setup's going to be a smaller scale. And I see, and so in the metros, I see that's a heavy governmental effort. You have heavy city government, you have some state government, and you have um, and you have um, resources in the metros. In the rural areas, you don't. Ha- and I grew up in a rural area. Okay, mm-hmm. so I grew up in a town of 800 people in rural Louisiana. And again, you know, just like I worry about that single mom in Dallas, I worry about the socioeconomic issue in the rural areas because you have a lot of people there that are doing double shifts. And, and, and working in places where they don't have the, the ability to sit around and play on their phone all day. So, you know, in that case, each community has a point of congregation. They, they have at least a church. They have a post school. They have a post office. So since the numbers are smaller, you can do names or birth years to allocate. But that all has to be pushed out by the government. It is pushed out on TV via the news. It's pushed out on the radio stations. It's pushed out with the people that have the phones. It can be pushed out almost like an Amber Alert. That, that, you know, if you're in this area, this is the day you go get your vaccine. And, and, and we need to let people almost have a, a, a localized holiday to go do that on their day. So yeah. those are the two, those two, and I want to talk about remote or, or, or people that are not mobile here in a minute, but I wanted to see if you had any questions on that. I think you, you, you raised some really, really good points there because of, uh, of the various challenges that, that people are going to have. And, and I think the, the one point that stood out to me especially was the fact that, uh, that I think that it has become extremely easy to assume that people have access to yep. broadband, to internet, and things like that. But this is something that we've seen in education during this time as well, that everyone assumes that everybody has internet or high-speed Wi-Fi for video chatting at home, mm-hmm. and that's just not reality. And so we can't operate as if, you know, we, we can't operate within that assumption. We have to assume that, that you know, you're going to have to make it a little bit more accessible for people and that always going the digital route, while it might be the easiest thing and most convenient to set up isn't going to cast the widest net for people. Oh, and, and look, so my past profession, I was a field artillery officer in the United States Army, okay? And I've been in countries where there's not much infrastructure. And, and where I've grown up rurally inside the United States, there's not much infrastructure there or, or infrastructure like someone in Dallas would just assume. And again, we've got to do this not only for DFW or Texas, but we have to do this for the nation. I mean, when, when I would, we would have all the computers in the world, I would make my guys unplug everything and have to shoot everything manually uh, or, or, or execute their mission manually because you never knew if you were going to have the computers or not. So we almost have to take a, a step to get in the Wayback Machine and go back to a era before some of this Internet just to ensure we don't miss constituencies. Because the last thing you want to do is have a group of people that are vaccinated you know, let's go Hunger Games. You know, you know, you don't want to have the capital vaccinated, mm-hmm. and then you got everybody out at District Twelve doing the work. They're sick, right? So, so we've got to take care. We've got to bring everybody along, and we've got to. Everybody's got to feel like they're a part of the solution here, or or you're going to have on top of not having enough people vaccinated to grant herd. Uh, you're going to have people that are going to remember. You're going to have children that are maybe five or six years old now. In 20 years going, I remember when my city, my state, my country let my mom down and killed my grandmother and I couldn't go to school. So this is, this is, this is one of those events that are going to live in the memory of people for 20 and 30 years. Right. And that's the way I'm looking at it. On the mobile side of the street, and I'm going to get personal here for a second, my father passed away in October, okay? And he, he didn't pass away from COVID. He had a stroke in June. 
uh, and he made it till October. Now, it sucked because COVID was going on because mom and I never could visit him together. And, and my mom's 80 and she has like two pre-existing conditions and we live in rural Louisiana. So, you know, so she's without my father now. She lives by herself in Louisiana. And now I've been able to get most items delivered to her. We have angel family friends, family and friends that help her out. She's, like I said, 81 high risk. And I've been playing the sign-up game getting nowhere just because there's not a supply. So that amps me. But therefore, I propose a third leg of what I'm, this triad, which would be home delivery. And, and it's something to be as creative as, as this. And I don't even know if this is rational or realistic. But, you know, the United States Post Office is a federal operation. And for the most part, they run to most homes daily. Um, think of how, how, you know, how many, how many folks that work in restaurants are out of work right now. Think about how people pay people to be census workers. I'm pretty sure we could pay people to learn how to give shots and we can send them out in trucks that are not to capacity with the postal system and or do an extra run. And you, again, you tell those people, you tell my mom, hey, on, on, on Friday afternoon between two and four, just like she's getting a, a washing machine delivered, uh, guess what? You're gonna get a you're gonna get a shot. We're gonna come to your house and give it to you. All you do is work. Walk out front. We'll do the paperwork. Um, and 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 friend. And this is where commercial guys can kick in too. You know, our friends that benefit so much from rural business or so much from um, suburban business like Amazon and UPS, uh, they can also do this route efficiently. This routing it very efficiently, and they can augment the post office effort. But we're gonna have to do something to take care of the people that cannot have an easy way in. And there's probably a lot more of those people than anybody understands. Um, the booster concerns me because it's hard enough to get one shot, right? let alone right. one shot and then another shot. So this is why this has to be that we can't leave it to the citizen to plan all this stuff for themselves because the, the amount of, of pull from the network and from the system to do this is going to be enormous. I can't imagine the phone systems at these few places that say, yeah, we have shots. I can't imagine it. This needs to be supply pushed out and allocated versus people demand like in a normal consumer environment. Because if you do that, then it's going to be, it's going to go to folks with the money, right? So, um, you know, and, 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 and I, I should have paused after the mobile stuff to see if you had any questions on that. I, I, the last kind of main thing I wanted to talk about here in a minute is around you know, how do, how do we want to allocate to who um, and kind of how we want to do that allocation perspective? And I have an idea on that, but I wanted to see if you had any questions around kind of some of the mobile stuff or getting, or getting the vaccine to people that just are not mobile. And it's very hard for them to be mobile because there's more of those people than a lot of people know. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a, um, uh, this, this is... Uh, Indirectly related, I suppose, but I saw a story from, I think it was South Carolina, where a, a city was having a long wait times with um, long wait times in a drive through vaccination site. I think it was an hour wait time. And so they brought in a local Chick-fil-A and mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A yeah. was able to, to yeah. more efficiently run things and got the oh, wait yeah. time down to 15 minutes. And so you can see how there's room for other people who have an expertise, like what you mentioned with the postal service and, mm-hmm. um, you know, people that are out of work from the restaurant industry have certain expertise, uh, expertises in these areas that can be applied in ways where, 
um, they could be beneficial for the rollout of this thing. Well, again, this is a war effort. This is a real, and everybody has to show up to the show. Hmm. And so, so it's like, oh, we have extra trucks. We have extra people. We have extra this. We are, we, we've lost, you know, and you guys have heard all the, we, we've lost a lot of people. We've lost more than in major conflicts. Um, and, 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 and not like, I mean, we've lost more people than we've lost in wars for national survival. Right. Um, and so regardless, it's been a traumatic time for the country. And I don't think the country's really come to terms with it yet. Um, but we are far from done with this. And just because a vaccine exists, if people don't take the vaccine, we will be in for another long winter next winter. And, and, and at some point, you have not only the, the disease taking the impact, but you are going to have societal and mental health and all these other things that go along with it. And, and at, at some point, it beca- I mean, there's reasons why throughout history, uh, you have rises and falls of nations and empires. And a lot of times, famine and or disease are the proximate cause, not war. So we should take this seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and this isn't just somebody's going to sort it out or, or, yeah, we just go to CVS. I mean, you know, the thing with the flu shot, you know, yeah, you know, you would think that, okay, you could have it at CVS and Walgreens. But we don't need 100% of the population to go. I mean, it'd be nice if people went and got their flu shot, but we don't ever do that. People, people have had some level of the flu before. Uh, this is different, and, and that's why... Um, it, it is, is very dangerous, and, and, and we should have taken it as a threat since jump. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would also say that I, I didn't mention the Johnson & Johnson shot, uh, and I don't know if you keep up with I mean, I'm sure you do, mm-hmm. but it, the, the word on the street has is the Johnson & Johnson shot will be a one shot, so you don't have to worry about the booster, so we don't have that, that, that constraint. And it also is, I think it can be at regular refrigerated. So now you're in the milk and eggs deal. Uh, you're, you're back in kind of normal refrigerated supply chain, which would really help the supply chain out. So I really think there should be a national and or state strategy that comes out or should be where you start to target like, okay, you have Moderna and Pfizer. Well, Moderna and Pfizer are already out. So let's target that at the older Americans our frontline workers and our essential workers, because we one, it's already there. We can already get going with that, and we can then we can work our mass facilities with that. And then, if you're kind of healthy and, and I'd call healthy and able adult, where you're in that 50, 55, and under, and you're not you, you don't have underlying conditions, well, then maybe that's you're you're the candidate for the J and J shot, and it's just one shot, one kill. You get it at at at, at at the pharmacy or, or, or we can do that. We, we can do that fast as well, but you know, you, they need to start thinking about how they're going to deploy these. And the first come first serve thing, I'm, I'm just really saying if, if we, we, the demand will break the system. So the system has to set itself up to bring in the demand at its pace with an understanding is we have to increase the pace. So uh, thoughts on that. Oh, that is, um, I think that's I think that's a really interesting way of thinking through this and and, and doing it and kind of breaking it up into this into this approach and, and and I think you're right if you if you just kind of allow for one gigantic wave it breaks the system but if you segment it differently and and have a better way of thinking through it I, I do see a lot of value in that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we're, we, we, we've done, we as a, as a country have done more difficult things in the past. Hmm. We, it, with, with far less resources and technology, we can do this, yeah. but we've got to kind of work together to do it. I mean, I've talked about this being a war effort and I promise you, I'm not going to get political. I'm not. I'm a veteran. I've seen the best of America. Mm-hmm. And and now's the time to pull our weight for each other. We need to protect each other. That means, it, it, you know, until, and oh, by the way, it's going to take a while to get people through this. In the meantime, people need to wear masks. They need to wash hands. They need to keep distance. No one knows the path others have to walk. And I get crazy looks in some places when I have a mask on and I'm playing hand sanitizer. But you know what? I'm an only child. My dad just died. My mom's fragile. If I caught this and killed my mom, it would be hard for me to live with. Mm-hmm. This is this is kind of golden rule 101 stuff. And, and I would venture to say, and I'm no preacher, okay? I don't pretend to be one on TV or anything like that. But I would venture to say if Jesus were asked, he would tell people to wear a mask. Sure. Though, you know, those of us who have served and are of faith owe it to society to protect the weak, provide for the safety. And the easiest way to do that in these days are to be patriotic be good citizens and be just good people. So, so you know, this won't go on forever, my man. And we are going to win this because we win. Right, right. I think that's uh, man. That that was extremely well said. And uh, I, I love that you brought up you know golden rule type uh, thinking of just um, you know caring for your neighbor and caring for others around you and uh, and doing the things necessary to to make that happen. I I, I am curious just. Now, having seen how this this pandemic has gone and seeing the vaccine rollout in, in this particular context and, and how we've done it so far and what we've, what we've talked about, if there is another pandemic in the next 10, 20, 30 oh, years, there will be. yeah so, is, so what do we what do we learn from this situation that we carry forward? you know what, what's what the you, big overarching yeah, no lesson? that's that's perfect and I'll, I'll actually borrow less from supply chain and more from my military background sure but uh, surveillance is very, very important. And so we have the capability as the United States to surveil uh, hotspots across the globe because you never know where this is going to start. And the difference between the, the the pandemic of the early 20th century and the pandemic of, of the early 21st century is that we were able to get it around the world in a more rapid fashion. So that means we have to be up and surveilling constantly uh, and, and especially in like, so in this, in this case, you, you might say, well, it, it came out of bad actor nation X or whatever, right? And we didn't have eyes in there. Well, we have eyes around, right? So, so the first thing is we have to consistently be in a position to surveil. Um, two, the testing. Um, now, in this case, we had to develop a test for scratch from something. I mean, we've moved exceptionally fast in this, but how the tests were uh, rolled out we need to be able to test to make sure things are safe for others to do. I, I think we we dropped the ball a little bit on the testing, not that we, it, it's always gonna take us time to identify the test, but once we had the test, we should have gone hardcore at, at, at doing the testing. We have to have unity of message. Uh, and again, I don't wanna get political here, but you know that the, the messaging, this became a political issue. And it should never. This is this. This should never have been a political issue at all. Right. Regard, you know, it's, a, it's it's quite literally uh, Mercutio, I believe, a curse on both your houses. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this is uh, this 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 can't. You have to have very clear 
consistent messaging so you people know what to do because there's other thing there's fear in this right right fear uh, when 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 people don't know it's almost like you know go to I'm a Star Wars fan you know fear, fear leads to hate hate leads to anger anger leads to the dark side so <laughs> it's is something is it literally can be something like that it's it's and if I misquoted that I'm sure I'll get slight smoked but but you know you. Even if you don't know, sometimes it's reassuring to hear people say, you know what, we don't know, but we're doing X, Y, and Z. That's better than spin or smoke from either side. Uh, so you got to level, and the American people are grown-ups, and we can, we can deal with the truth. And then having a, having a playbook to where where the gov- the different levels of government can more closely coordinate. Yeah, I, I mean, and in many cases, states are supposed to carry out these activities. The problem is a lot of states don't have the resources that we have in Texas, one. Uh, and two, they're not necessarily set up to do stuff like this unless you just totally activate the National Guard. And even then, they're not, they're trained at other stuff, not necessarily this. So I think we should take away from this, I'm sorry I'm long-winded, but we should take away from this a playbook, because I, I really think even though we, and we've lost a lot of people, but if this this had a mortality rate, we, we'll never know the mortality rate because we never will know the denominator, like the number of deads, the numerator, the denominator is the number that had it. We, we'll never know because of the testing, but we, we by all estimates, we're probably in a lower mortality than like let's say it was a fifteen to twenty percent mortality rate. And you have one in five people dropping dead from it on the street, mm-hmm. like like a bubonic plague or something like that. That is what you know. That's why we have to kind of have our stuff together. So when that stuff shows up, we know what to do. And and again, just some universal things. It's an aerosol disease. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Stay away from each other. Meet out. Congregate outside. Just you know, basic stuff that you would do in a flu season. But, yeah, we need to take the lessons learned on this. There should be a hell of an AAR and after-action review on this one day. And, and we need to really remember this because there were, there were like, findings in 1918, 1920 that, that has informed how, you know, how we act today. So we will leverage this in, you know, be it 20 years or 50 years, but we will see this again. And we might see this with something far more deadly. Wise words, and uh, I think just some fantastic insight here on uh, supply chain and operations from David Beard, president of Beard Solutions. David, thank you again so much for joining me today and uh, discussing a little bit more uh, about the vaccine rollout and, uh, and what we can be doing. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Stay safe. <laughs>